Welcome to City Talk, a podcast from City View Church in Northern Virginia. City View is a church for all ages and all nations. We offer to everyone the hope, healing, and help that is found in Jesus Christ. This week continues our series, Discipleship, taking the next step to knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. Our mission is to make disciples, and to make disciples, you must be a disciple. A disciple is anyone taking the next step to knowing, loving, and following Jesus more. Discipleship involves your head, heart, and hands. And today we're talking about our heart because it drives what we do. You ever been driving and you're sitting in a traffic light and the light turns green and you're ready to go, but the driver in front of you doesn't go and then they finally, it's like they, they wake up and they make it through the light and you're stuck behind and you're like, ah. And then you realize they're texting. They're not paying attention to what they're doing on the road. Their heart is not all in with their driving. What's going on with this? Or maybe your team is playing, but as you watch the game, it's like no one's really into it. They're playing at half speed. They're not doing it wholeheartedly. Or maybe you've got a work situation where you feel like your, your colleagues aren't pulling their weight. They're not as into it as they ought to be. You know, it's frustrating when you're all in on something, but you look around and the people around you don't seem to be all in. And I have to wonder at times if God, looking down from heaven, looks at me and says, dude, you're the texter in traffic. You're the kid who's out there not playing with all their heart. See, our hearts are so important because our heart reveals who we are inside. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. God is just looking for our hearts. And that's really good news because any of us can say, Lord, here you go. Here's my heart. You know, our mission here at City View Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And to make disciples of Jesus Christ, you need to be a disciple. Well, though, whoa, that sounds like real spiritual jiu-jitsu and so on, but being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means we are living our life in such a way that we are just taking the next step towards knowing, loving, and following Him better. And the great thing about that is all of us can take another step towards Jesus. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a hundred years or just a day. We can all take another step towards Him. And we've broken it up to talking about knowing, loving, and following Jesus Christ. So in a sense, it's like saying knowing is with our head, loving is with our heart, and then we follow Him with our hands and our feet. Head, heart, hands. And we break it down this way. And it's not like, okay, I can pick one of those three, or I can pick two of those three. God wants us to be doing all of them. He's not saying, hey, that's great. You know a lot of information, but you don't love people, but that's okay. You know a lot. God wants us to be doing it all, knowing, loving, and following, going after him wholeheartedly. You know, being like a disciple of Jesus Christ is like a bowl of spaghetti bolognese, if you think about it. Because in a bowl of spaghetti bolognese, it's got some ingredients that blend together, and they're fantastic together. 
But once you get a bowl of spaghetti bolognese in front of you, you really can't pull aside that, oh, I'm going to take the tomato out of it, I'm going to take the meat out, whatever. It, it wouldn't be spaghetti bolognese. It's all mixed in together. So when we talk knowing, loving, and following, it's talking about everything. We are all in. Last week we talked about what we ought to know as Christians, following Christ with our mind, with our head. Today we're going to talk about following Christ with our hearts. And that's our love. That reflects our priorities. Our hearts are really, really important. So before we dive into this, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and right now, I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart. Lord, just as we have been singing, open the eyes of our heart that we would grasp who we are and what we have in you. Lord, open the eyes of our heart to the riches that we have in Christ. Open the eyes of our heart to know the great power that you use on our behalf for us. Oh Lord, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our heart to your greatness. Draw us close to you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So loving God really is us just joyfully saying, Lord, out of all you've done for me, I'm yours. Thanks for everything, God. God wants us to serve him with joy, and that comes with a heart that overflows with joy. Now, when I talk about loving God, it also includes loving people. The Bible says, don't say you love God if you don't love people. So whenever I talk about loving God, it's implicit that I'm also talking about loving people. You can't love God and not love people because God loves people. So that's all bundled in there together. It's been said that uh, our heart, really, it's where our allegiances lie, our allegiances, our affections, our priorities, our love. It's been said before that if you want to know where your heart is, just look to where your mind goes when it wanders. When you've got nothing going on, and you're just sitting daydreaming, what do you think about? That's a reflection of what is in your heart. And God is more concerned with our hearts than anything else. And that's really good news. Because that's kind of the opposite of the way the world looks at it. The world looks at your resume. God says, I, can, I want to see, look through that straight to, you, to your heart. In the Old Testament, when Israel was looking for a new king, Samuel the prophet was given the task. And he was told, I want, and God told him, I want you to go to the household of Jesse, and it's going to be one of his sons. And so Samuel lined them up. And he looked at the ones who were the most impressive on the outside. And for every one of them, he said something to the effect of, Surely, Lord, this is the dude. Look, he looks like he's the fastest and the strongest. Oh, this guy looks like he's the smartest. And each one of them, God said, No, that's not it. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, at the end of this whole thing where, you know, Samuel kind of goes down the list and he goes, okay, this is the top dog. Then he keeps working his way down and it's like, ah, it's not this guy. Well, who's left? The Lord said to Samuel, don't judge him. The guy's lined up by their appearance or their height because I have rejected them. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. 
People judge by outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's really good news for us. Because it's very easy for us. Our human inclination is to look. You'll always find someone better looking than you, smarter than you, more athletic than you, more accomplished in the work world. And so it's a losing race to compare yourself with other people. But God says, forget about all that. I want your heart. I want you to love me at the core of your being. And that's a choice. Doesn't matter your education level, doesn't matter your height, doesn't matter your strength, doesn't matter your intelligence. I just want you to make a choice to say, I'm going to love you with who that I am, with all that I am. See, God is concerned with our heart because He sees it and it reveals our priorities. It reveals what we really love. Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where the things that matter to you are, that's where your heart is. Your heart will always reflect what is important to you. It's been said before that whatever your heart clings to, that truly is your God. That's profound. Whatever your heart clings to, Whatever you're saying, this is the most important thing to me, that becomes your God. That is what you worship. And So how much sense does it make for us to say, I want God to be where my heart lies. I want to be so overwhelmed with how great He is. And that's why we talked a bit about knowing. Because last week, we need to know who God is so we can say, He is great. He deserves all of my allegiance, all of my attention, all of my affection. Our heart matters. Our heart drives us. Our heart is our inner being. It's who we are. And it's all our priorities bundled up together. So if we're saying we follow Christ with our heart, how do we do that? What does it look like? What are some things we need to keep in mind about our heart? Several things the Bible has to say. First of all, beware of your heart. Beware of your heart. We need to have a healthy respect for our heart but we also need to know that our heart is not the decider of everything. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's pretty depressing in and of itself. But it's true. Our human heart, our natural inclination is away from God. We're okay with God as long as he agrees with what I think or what I feel about a matter. But the human heart naturally inclines away from God. We need God's help to keep us on track. But left to our own devices, we'll wander off from God every single time. And the problem we face as a culture, and culture's thinking influences us even here in church, which is really unfortunate. But you always hear the mantra, Follow your heart. Follow your heart. How many children's songs do we know that have follow the heart? How many kids' movies have follow your heart as a core theme? That's the worst thing you can do. Following your heart will get you into trouble. Sometimes our hearts can also be cold and indifferent towards God. Our heart can kind of 
fluctuate with how we're feeling about things at the time. Our heart is a bad guide in life. It was never intended to be our guide. God says, I am your North Star. Line your heart up under me. When we stop and think about God and how great He is, it should be easy to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to line up under you. I want you to have control of my heart so I don't wander off and do some of the silly things that I would do if left to my own devices. In Psalm 139, it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's raw. That's real. That's kind of scary, though, to say, hey, God, I want you to look in my heart and know what I'm really thinking. Because here's the thing. We all know we can fool people. You can put an act on and look good on the outside and get people to think you're someone that you know that inside you're not. Integrity is all about having your inside and your outside being the same. But for us to say, Lord, look at my heart. The things that no one else may see, the areas that I may be able to fool other people in, God, I want you to look at my heart. And Lord, if there's anything in my heart that grieves you or is harmful, is leading away from you, Lord, would you change that and restore me to your way? It's simple humility. It's me saying, I reject what the world around me says about follow your heart, do whatever is on your heart. But it's a humility to say, Lord, I want my heart to line up under you. And I'm following you. Would you help me to line up with you? Lead me in the way everlasting. That's God's ways. So we need to have a healthy awareness and beware of our heart. Don't trust your heart. Because the Bible nowhere says that we should follow our hearts. Beware of it. Have a healthy awareness of it. Another thing the Bible tells us about our hearts is to guard our hearts. Guard your hearts. In Proverbs 4.23, it says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. It didn't just say, guard your life, this is real, guard your heart, this is really important. It says, guard your heart above all else. Before you do anything else, guard your heart. It's that important. You know, you can't just walk into a bank vault. You can't just walk into Fort Knox. You can't just walk into any number of the government buildings around us here. Because there are guards. And the purpose of a guard is to let the good guys in and keep the bad guys out. Good in, bad out. And we need to do that with our hearts. We have to keep the bad stuff out. And it's important for us as followers of Jesus Christ, as we seek to be disciples of Him, 
to say, Lord, what's the garbage that's coming into my mind that I can get out? Now, there's some stuff around us that you just encounter every day. It could be the music that's played in the lunchroom in your cafeteria or what have you. We're bombarded with the world's message all the time. But we do have places and times where we can regulate what we allow into our lives. Instead of allowing the message of the world to influence us and to drive us, we need to say, Lord, I want your word to drive me. But you see, I'm convinced that many of us don't think God is that great. Because we look at all the glitters in the world around us and we say, that's what I'm going after. I may not tell my church friends, I may not open up in a Bible study about it, but that's how I'm living my life. God says, do what matters more than anything else. Pursue me. You know, one of the reasons I think that Scripture prays for us, the Apostle Paul prays for us in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our heart would be open to the riches that we have in Christ, is because when we use our physical eyes, we see the riches of the world around us, especially here in Northern Virginia. You look at all the stuff we have access to, and it's very easy to want to build our lives around it. But God wants the eyes of our heart opened to say, what you see around you in Northern Virginia, it isn't going to last that long. What I have for you will last forever. Those are the riches that you want to focus on. Keep the bad out. Choose what you allow into your mind. Think about the social media you're on the movies you watch, the music you listen to, the influences around you. But then it's not just keeping the bad out. That's only half the job. We want to let the good in. You want to allow that which is good and lovely and true and noble into your life. It begins with the Word of God. I remember talking with a guy, and he just made this comment, and it's stuck with me ever since. He said, you know, anytime I have a problem with, the Bible, with what the Bible says, I'm the problem. It's not the Bible. I need to readjust my thinking so it lines up with Scripture. If I have some, other, some assumptions that I come to with the Bible, and I go, I don't like what it says there, it's my heart that needs to change to line up under God. And I love that humility. We all need that. Let the good into your heart. So a guard has two jobs. Keep out the bad, let in the good. It's not just one or the other, it's both. We need to guard our hearts. And this is really important. You know, Jesus was coming down on people for their hypocrisy. Some of the religious leaders were talking about how good they were, and again, it was on the outside. And Jesus could see straight through that. And he says this in Luke chapter 6. This is an encounter he has with some people. He says this in Luke 6, verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What's in you is what comes out. An apple tree is not all of a sudden going to you know, 
burst forth with oranges. An apple tree will grow apples. What is in our heart is what will actually show up in our lives. And so after zinging them with this, Jesus said it, let me make it very clear to you guys. In verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What's inside us is what is going to come out. Now, as we grow socially, we kind of learn the skill of filtering out, and which is cynically saying you can, you can trick some people as to what's really inside your heart and conceal it. But God says, it's going to come out one day. So the smartest decision we can make is to say, I am going to have my heart controlled by that which is good. I'm going to have the good coming into my heart. Because that's going to shape it. So we need, to be, we need to have a healthy awareness of our heart. Beware of it. We need to guard our heart. It really matters. And then we need to train our hearts. It's just like physical exercise, in the sense. We are to train our hearts for that which is good and righteous. Psalm 119 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is training your heart right here. This is what we all need to be doing. And it's a lot more fun when you do it with friends, like whether you're in a life group together or one of our discipleship groups or even just... Get with a couple Christian friends and encourage one another with this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Don't miss out that word whole in there. King David, when he's writing this, is saying, with my whole heart I seek you. Lord, I want to be all in. You know, loving Christ is really just saying, Lord, I'm all in. You can have all of me. I want you to control me in everything I do. Let me not wander from your commandments. So he's saying, with my whole heart, Lord, I'm going after you. I don't want to wander off the path. I want to follow you. And the best way to not wander off the path is to keep our eyes focused on where we ought to be going. You wander off the path when you take your eyes off the, uh, the destination and you're looking around and get distracted by everything that's out there. With my whole heart, Lord, I seek you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. But here's the thing. The more we see God and the greater we see Him to be, the more we're going to want to stay on track. And that's where our mind and our heart work together. Lord, I want to know you. I want to know about you. And the more I learn about you, the more incredible I see you are. I want to keep my eyes fixed on you. I want to have my heart focused on you. I've stored up your word in my heart. 
that I might not sin against you. I've stored up your word. You know, we're busy here. Northern Virginia is, Northern Virginia is the land of the self-important. We have so much going on. It's kind of a, you know, a badge of honor. Hey, how you doing? Oh, busy. But we need to carve out time for what matters most. There's no shortcuts in this. Now, I think five minutes a day in the Bible is definitely better than nothing. So if that's where you're at, great. But then let's take it to the next level. Because we're bombarded with the world's resources 24-7. We've got to push back and have the Word of God shaping our heart. I've stored up your Word in my heart. What is that? On the one hand, you could say, well, it's memorizing. And I think that's good. But I would also say it's internalizing. You know, the best things you can do is read God's Word. And then maybe there's a verse which stands out to you, or several verses. And as you go throughout the day, just have that going through your mind, shaping the way you think. Meditating on it. Reflecting on it. Reading God's Word should be much more than something we check off our to-do list. Again, we should do it, so it should be on that list. But it goes beyond, okay, done, check. Now I'm moving on to the next thing. It's after I've read it. How can I have this on my mind throughout the day? So it shapes the way I talk to my classmates at school. It shapes the way I treat my coworkers. Or it reminds me about God that He will never leave me or forsake me. That means I'm not alone in my job. God is with me. I'm never alone in the classroom because God is with me. Store God's Word in your heart. Memorizing is the best way to get it there. But it's more than just memorizing so you can check it off a list to say what you've memorized. It's internalizing it. It's dwelling on it. And having it take deep roots in you. You do what's on your heart. Because your heart reflects what you love. It reflects what really matters to you. So build the habits of praying, reading and reflecting on Scripture, and talking about God with people. You know, here's the great thing. When you put God's Word in your heart, when God is on your heart and on your mind, He is naturally going to spill over. So here's the thing. When God is naturally in your heart and in your mind, and He spills over just in the way you talk, well, if you're with other Christians, that's fellowship and encouragement. If you're with people who aren't Christians, well, that's evangelism. And you didn't even have to take a training course to do it. It's because that is what is on your heart. It will spill over. And that is the way we want to live. I think it's important that we get training in different aspects of the Christian life. But on the other hand, it's much simpler than that. If Jesus is on your heart and your mind, if you're consumed with how great and fantastic He is, the rest of the things are just going to fall into place. If you get your heart right, the rest truly is details. It's just working on the techniques. When Jesus is on our heart, 
He is going to influence how we speak and how we act. You know, in the Christian life, many people will try, well, I, I tried praying for two or three days, or I tried reading my Bible for a couple days, and, and I'm not changed. But we would never say that about any other discipline. No one would ever go, I'm going to go to the gym for two days and see if I, you know, if I look buff after that. You know that you have to commit to it over the long haul for it to really take effect. And it's the same with the spiritual disciplines. God is saying, I want your heart all in. I don't want you to just say, I'm going to try you for a couple days and see if it works out. He wants us all in. You know, this last weekend was the uh, NFL draft. And you look at these guys just become instant millionaires in front of your very eyes. And it's easy to think, well, they're just phenomenal athletes. How come they got so gifted and I didn't? And it's true. They are phenomenal athletes. But every one of them at that level practiced. No one shows up and says, hey, I just turned 22, 23, NFL, here I am. Yeah, they might have some special athletic ability and they might be really good, but when they're young, if their goal is say, I want to play in the NFL, I guarantee you they are practicing hard. They're not saying, you know, I'm going to do, uh, practice football for five minutes a day and just see what happens when I'm 22 or 23. They practice hard. God calls us to something with far more benefits than the riches of the NFL. They're saying, guys, this is worth building your life around. Will you do it? You know, speaking of uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, the greatest prayer instructor I have ever had is my son Ben when he was five years old. Um, ben, when he was five years old, decided he loved basketball. He just wanted to play basketball. And at that age, the basketball was nearly as big as he was. But he just wanted to play. And so Ben would get a ball and he'd say, Dad, come on, let's, let's just go outside and shoot. Okay, let's go. Now, I didn't want to burst his bubble, but the thing is, when he was that age, he'd get the ball and he'd be like, and he'd throw it up and it would go about this high. And just looking at that hoop back there, you can see this was not enough. But Ben didn't just say, I've tried it a couple times, that's it. He practiced, and 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 he practiced a bunch more times. And it wasn't on the second day. It wasn't on the third day. It was quite a few days later, and I know that because I had to stand out there with him. But he would get it to the right height of the basket, which was pretty impressive when you saw his size and the size of the basketball. And then he would practice. And he would practice. And all of a sudden, he started making about as much as he missed. And it hit me like a bolt of lightning one day. This is like praying. God says, will you do it? Don't just do it once and then expect me to turn everything around. Trust me. And practice. First few times you pray, 
you're not going to feel that comfortable. You'll be a little awkward. You'll be like Ben. You won't even get the ball as high as the hoop. You're not going to sound like any of the spiritual people you know. That's fine with God. He just wants us to practice. God says, I don't care if you fail. I don't care if you look terrible when you practice. But will you just practice? Because when you practice, it shows that that's important to you. And you want to get there. Start patiently and build up. You are not going to become a spiritual genius in two days. Your life won't necessarily be transformed after a week of prayer. But God sees those steps. And he says, put one foot in front of the other and keep going. And then you're going to see, you will look back over time and you'll go, whoa, I just made a basket. That's how God works. You do what you love. You become what you love. You fill yourself with Christ. You'll naturally act like him. You'll naturally speak like him. Good habits help build the character of Christ into you. As you get better in these habits, you're going to look back one day and go, wow, this is amazing how much further along I was then. But again, we get impatient. We have that checklist mentality. And it's like, I've been praying two days and, you know, stick with it over time and you're going to see how God works. So our heart, our heart is the seat of our loves. It's where our affections and our priorities lie. We need to be beware of our hearts. We need to guard our hearts. And we need to train our hearts to follow Christ well. Our heart reveals the real me. That's why it's so important. Our heart shows what we love. You know, one of the best gauges of your health, and I'd even say the health of a, of a church, is how you love God and how you love people. Because if you get those things right, the rest is details. It really is. God wants your heart in the right place. And that's good news because that's a decision that you can make. But when it comes to our hearts, I have bad news and good news. The bad news is what I said earlier. The human heart is desperately sick. It leans away from God. You can improve your heart a little bit better in terms of your relationship with God, but you're never going to get it fully right. That's bad news. But the good news is that that is not the whole story. God knows our hearts, and he wants to heal our hearts. He says this in the book of Ezekiel, an Old Testament prophecy, and he's talking. We know this now, but he's talking about the Savior he's going to send. But listen to what God has to say. I love the way this phrasing works out. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, God looks at us and he says, you're never going to get your heart fixed. And you know something? You can't keep all my rules. You fall short. That's really bad news. 
But the good news is that that's not the end of the story. God says, I will heal your heart. I will then come and live inside you. My spirit will come in you, and I will help you to live out the way you're supposed to live, because you can't do it by yourself. That's what we call the gospel. The gospel is the message intended for all of humanity to receive the gift that God gives. And we do it simply like this. We recognize that we fall short, that we will never fix our hearts by ourselves, that we can't live up to what God intends us to live like. And we say, Lord, I believe that Jesus died in my place on the cross to pay that penalty I could never pay. And I believe that he rose from the dead to prove that he's who he said he was and that he will give new life. The Bible says that we repent from the way we've been and we say, Lord, I'm turning to you and I'm believing Jesus died for me and he rose again and I'm trusting in him and him alone to be right with you. The moment you receive Jesus Christ and you say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. When that happens, God says, I'll put a new heart in you. I'll give you a heart transplant. And then I'll help you to live. But you've got to choose to trust me and follow me. When we talk about our heart, we're just saying, be all in. Wholehearted love for Christ. God refers to himself as our Father. And in the book of Proverbs, there's one of my favorite verses is a father putting his arm around the shoulder of his son. And he says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. My son, give me your heart and do as I do. That's being the perfect father. God is the perfect father. And he is saying to each and every one of us, will you give me your heart? Will you be all in? Will you trust me? Give me your heart and see that I can do greater than you could ever ask or imagine. But you've got to trust me with your heart. And that's not always easy because we want to take it to ourselves and we want to be in control. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. That's what God is saying to all of us right now. Your heart matters. God sees it. It reveals the real you. It's your priorities. God wants us to follow him with our hearts. He's just saying, all you got to do, doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a day or for a hundred years, to every day just say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all yours. And when God has a group of people who say, Lord, we are all yours. We're all in. He can turn a community upside down. He can turn the world upside down. Let's be that people. Heavenly Father, we come to you and thank you that you have done everything that needed to be done so that we could be made right with you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus as Savior, that today would be the day they would call on him. Lord, for all of us as a church family, I pray that we would be a people who give you our hearts, who say, Lord, 
here I am. Do whatever you want with me. Because, Lord, any of us can do that. Lord, would you help us to see how great you are so that we can with confidence say, Lord, I'm giving you my heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.